Let's open the Word of God this afternoon to second letter of Peter, second epistle of Peter, chapter 3, 2 Peter 3. And this is the Word of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Sorry, I'm in John and step Peter. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the word that the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So far, the word of God. This afternoon, I proclaim to you the gospel as we have that in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And with that, I will also confess Lord's Day 10, question and answer 27. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, 
rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And we pay special attention to the first part, that uh, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth in all creatures. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, and boys and girls who belong to him, belong to the Lord. This afternoon, I'd like to focus on that first part of answer 27. You could call the second part of answer 27, the house of God's providence. That's where our confession shows that God's providence practically impacts our whole lives. Food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty come to us not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. But then that's the house. Then the first part of this answer is the foundation. The foundation of a house might be less conspicuous, but still very important for the house as a whole. And in that first foundational part of answer 27, then we confess that God's providence means that he still upholds, still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures. In other words, he ensures that the earth and life on earth can still continue, go on. He ensures that the earth remains a livable planet. Now, unbelieving scientists have a, a naturalistic explanation for why life can exist here on earth. They say that everything has evolved over billions of years. And they say that the distance from the sun and the rotation of the earth and the existence of water and the atmosphere and many exact conditions allowed for life to evolve here and still the conditions are so that life can continue to exist here. But then they also, even though they, that's their explanation, they also continually worry about those exact conditions being affected by human activity, causing climate change, for instance. In fact, a lot of people have become so concerned about that today, they speak of a climate emergency. If life is going to continue, we have to change things. If we don't do something now, there will be no future for life on earth. Now, as God's people, we believe, we, we certainly believe that we're called to be good stewards of his creation. But ultimately, the future of life on earth does not depend on mankind, we believe. It's our God and Father in Christ who upholds everything, continues to uphold everything. And life continues here only because of his, his patience. 2 Peter 3 verse 9, his patience, his long-suffering. And in the light of the first part of answer 27, as well as 2 Peter 3 verse 9, I preach to you this afternoon God's patience will Pay attention to two things in connection with that patience of God. First of all, that, the basis of that patience. And secondly, the, the reason for that patience. First of all, the basis then. Congregation, think about this. How many times on average do we sin per day? Many times if you think about it. But let's just say you commit five outward sins a day. I shouldn't have done that, and I shouldn't have said that. And then there are also the sins of thought and motive, you know, looking lustfully, envious thoughts, selfish motive, for even when you do something good, there could be a selfish motive behind that. So let's say another 15 sins. That would make 20 sins a day. Multiply that by seven and a half billion people on earth today, 
that'll bring you to one and a half trillion sins per day on earth. And that's then sin which God in his holiness is looking down on every day on this earth. He's bearing with those sins every day. Imagine that you had a big, beautiful garden and it was overrun by that many nasty bugs which ate the lovely flowers and the good vegetables you planted there. What would you do? I think you'd say, what's the use of growing my garden under these conditions? You'd get some kind of powerful, deadly insecticide to spray all over your garden and kill everything. Or you'd just plow it all under, forget about it, nice garden this year. Well, think of the earth with so many sins taking place all over it every day again. And you know what? I think if I were God, I would just wipe all the people off the face of the earth and maybe start all over again with it all. Make it beautiful again as it was in the beginning. But that's not what God does. No, he lets the world and everybody and everything on it continue to exist. He still upholds it all. And that's his patience, upholding everything while he has, in the words of Psalm 7, verse 11, indignation every day because of what people do on the surface of this earth. He upholds it all, even though every day he in his perfect holiness is offended and provoked and antagonized by the sins committed every day, even by his people. The older word, long-suffering, that's a, it's a beautiful word. It fits well here. He has the right to destroy everything and, and everyone in his righteous wrath, but he doesn't do it. He holds it in. He waits. He delays. See, congregation, that, that patience, that long-suffering of God is the reason why this world still revolves around the sun and rotates and while there is still life here at all on earth. God's Patience is the basis of his government, of everything that happens here on earth and in our lives. Health and sickness, good times and difficult times. It's the foundation of the house of God's providence, which is so easily overlooked. You see, if you don't pay attention to this foundation, you just see the house. Then you, you see how God governs and guides all things like leaf and blade, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness and so on. You see how God governs your life? But the thing is, if you only pay attention to that, then you can end up with a lot of questions too. Why does God allow this evil to happen to me? Why does he continue to allow that wickedness, a wickedness like abortion to continue? Why this pandemic now? Just when things are going well for my business. Or you just presume maybe that everything just continues on its own, like clockwork. Clock that's all wound up and runs off by itself, and you take it all, the earth and everything on it, your life itself too, for granted. And then you don't see God's patience and long-suffering, and you don't give him, and that, that's, that's the thing, you don't give him the glory for that. However, if you have an eye for that foundation of God's patient waiting and still upholding it in his patience, then you'll see things differently. Then thinking about God's power and providence doesn't begin with your thoughts and questions about what God is doing now in the world or in your life. Why this? How come that? No, then thinking about God's providence begins with deep 
amazement, I could say astonishment, that the world still exists today, and the gratitude then too, that you still exist, and you can live from day to day yet. We read about that example of God's patience in 2 Peter 3, where it mentions the great flood in the time of Noah. After God's creation of the world, it took a long time before it came to the flood. We don't know how long exactly, but it took a long time. And during that time, sadly, the earth became awash with violence, with sin. It says in Genesis 6, verse 5, that at that time the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Must have been pretty bad. And his patience came to an end then. He told Noah, build an ark because I'm going to send a flood to make an end of all flesh and to cleanse the earth of the evil that's, going, that's taking place on it. And it took Noah many years to build the ark before the flood came. People knew about the coming judgment because of the ark that was being built there and Noah's preaching, his warning about it. No one can say that God acted hastily or impulsively when he brought the flood over the earth. But, things really did, but did things really become better after the flood? Not at all. Didn't take long and basically all mankind fell away from God again. And thousands of years have passed and wars and crimes and sins continue and God could have brought other floods to cleanse the world over and over again every time. But he didn't do that. After the great flood in Noah's days, he promised at the end of Genesis 8 that he would never again curse the ground because of man's wickedness, but that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And then he set the rainbow in the clouds as a sure sign of that promise, that he would be patient, that he would be patient. He promised in the Old Testament to patiently uphold the earth and life upon it. And the reason he did so throughout the Old Testament, we know, was in order to fulfill his promise right after the fall that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. In other words, God upheld all creation in the Old Testament so that at the right time and place, his son could come into this world, could conquer Satan, sin and death for all those whom the Father had given him. God was patient for the sake of Jesus Christ during the Old Testament time. A cross had to be raised on Golgotha where God's wrath against sin would be poured out on Jesus. He took the guilt of all his own on himself and God was not patient with him. He was not patient with him. Even though he had never committed a single sin, never offended God's holiness in the least, the, the whole flood of God's wrath against sin washed over him there. It was literally hell on earth for those three hours on Golgotha for him. He bore it all to the very end for his own. And after Jesus had risen from the dead, the disciples had first figured that God would now put an end to all things as they are. But that was not the case. No, as Jesus had told them beforehand, Matthew 24, many things still had to take place before the end of time. It would not be yet. In fact, many people would continue to be led astray by promises of salvation from, from the brokenness of this world, from elsewhere, from others. False Christs, 
Violence would continue. There would be wars, rumors of wars. A lot of disasters would take place yet. Famines, earthquakes, and so on. Plagues. Many Christians would continue to be oppressed and persecuted. Many would lose faith. And finally, the gospel will first have to be proclaimed to all nations, said the Lord Jesus. And then the end will come. But in the meantime, as sin and violence and so on continue here on earth, God is patient. He is long-suffering. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, in faith we experience that patience of God every day. I don't know whether you ever think about it, but God is patient every day with you and I too. It needs to be experienced so that you say, oh God, what a miracle that I still exist, that I'm here, here on earth. What a, what a wonder that you haven't let your wrath fall on me and on this earth, even though I antagonize and provoke you so often yet. What a wonder that your church still exists in the middle of this broken and sinful world. Think about it. How often don't we ignore his word to do what we desire? How often don't we abuse the gifts and the time that God gives us? So he has every right to also wipe us off the face of the earth because of those things, but he doesn't do that. He continues to take care of you and me, provide for us in spite of our sins and shortcomings. He has till now been patient and long-suffering for the sake of Christ. And if we can contemplate that, then that ought to make us into the most patient people on earth, ourselves too, right? How often aren't we told to be patient in the Bible? It's one of the, the fruits of the Spirit, patience. Think of Psalm 37. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon, the reason for God's patience today. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God gave the rainbow after the, uh, in the beginning as a, the sign of his patience. And he, it's a sign he won't let the seasons or the growing and the harvesting of food cease here on earth until the last day, until he sends Jesus Christ to this earth once more as judge of the living and the dead and to cleanse the world of all sin. We read about how that he's going to do that. It's a fiery cleansing, apparently, in, in Peter. It's been thousands of years already, and his patience still endures. Why? Why still does his patience still endure? Well, I can think of three reasons. In the first place, God not only patiently upholds the world so that it continues to exist, he also provides for the earth in such a way that life here continues. He continues to supply this world and the people in it with many, many gifts and benefits. He allows, he brings rain and sun so things can grow, harvests. He provides a lot of things that make people able to live good and happy lives also today. We don't understand his reasons for providing more of those gifts in one place on this earth than on another. We know there's poverty here and riches there. But all those benefits and gifts are so that people will lift their hearts up to him in gratitude as the giver of all good. It's to call people to look up to him. And all those benefits and gifts which God continues to bestow on mankind day after day so they look up to him then mean also that nobody has an excuse at the end of time to say, well, I, I didn't know. I, did. 
I didn't think about it. They have no excuse for not knowing and glorifying God. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord says, Isaiah 1, that the ox knows its owner who feeds him. The donkey knows its master's feeding trough. But people don't know God who feeds and sustains them anymore. Through all his good gifts, God is calling people to think about where it all comes from and then give thanks to him. God's good gifts to us renders us all inexcusable before him. Also you and I. All God's good gifts, they testify against you and me if we don't acknowledge him and thank him for them. He'll say in the end, didn't I give you food every day again? You had that sandwich every day and drink? Didn't I give you drink every day and so many good things to enjoy? So why didn't you acknowledge me, thank me, love me, serve me? See, God patiently, patiently lets the sun shine and the rain fall and the seasons change, lets there be seed time and harvest, and all that happening all over the earth renders everybody on earth inexcusable before him, all his gifts. He is worthy of praise and thanks from everybody on earth, also you and me. And that brings me to the second reason for God's patience, that the earth and life on it continues is a serious call for the church of Christ. God patiently continues to uphold creation and life so that as Jesus stated in Matthew 24, the gospel can be proclaimed to all people, all nations. And the question is then, how does the church of Christ make use of that time that, that God's patience allows today? Because God wants the gospel of deliverance from the wrath to come in Jesus Christ. He wants it to go out to all peoples and nations and languages. That's why he still upholds the world today. You can say that the world still exists because the church isn't full yet. The church of Christ today has to think about that. Do we realize why the world still keeps turning? It's because God wants the gospel to go out, to be carried farther. And what does that mean for me and you practically? Is my daily life only about me and my, my little family, my children having a nice life going to heaven afterward? Is that why God is patient with the world? No, brothers and sisters, it's so that the name of Jesus can continue to be put forward and proclaimed here and abroad. Does that play a role in your life and in the raising of your children, in your giving for the work of mission, for church? God patiently upholds heaven and earth and all creatures as with his mighty hand, as we confess in Lord's Day 10. And that has a purpose, according to 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's the goal. That's why the world keeps turning at this time yet. That's why we're still here. Well, that's why there's still good things happening as well as disasters and tragedies in various places. That's why God still patiently holds in his full wrath before he fully releases that, the final judgment. He wants people all over to be called to repentance yet. He still has elect people out there in the world in every nation and tribe who need to be called to faith and repentance. They need to hear the gospel. And we have to ask ourselves, are we as church truly serious 
about letting that call go out to our neighbors and to the world? Are we, are we truly committed to mission and outreach so that all God's elect may hear the call to faith and repentance and be gathered into his holy Catholic church? Is that something we, we give for, we pray for? And then there's the third reason why God in his patience lets the earth and life on it continue. Like Jesus said in that passage from Matthew 24, which we referred to before, wars and famines and earthquakes and so on, they continue to take place all over the world. Also the pandemic we're in at this time. God is patient, but he, he continues to allow those things to happen now here, now there, sometimes even over the whole world. And they're all expressions of his, his wrath against the sins and violence of mankind on earth. They're all expressions of that. They're not the full outpouring of his wrath yet, but they are restrained expressions of his wrath intended to wake people up to the fact that it is he alone who created all things and upholds it all and will bring it to an end in his son. Those things are like when someone slams on the table with his fist. Everybody suddenly looks up and pays attention. That's why God brings about those disasters and shocking events and pandemics. He's banging his fist down. It's so that people look up and pay attention. Ask themselves, why did this happen? What caused this to happen? A lot of people try to explain things naturally. This caused that and so on. But ultimately, it's the sin of mankind in the face of God, which is the cause of those things. Of course, you can't always draw a direct line from a disaster to certain sins of these people or those people. If there's an earthquake which takes thousands of lives or a war in which innocent people, a lot of innocent people perish or a pandemic that takes a lot of lives, you can't say that that happened because of the wickedness of those particular people who were directly affected by that. But those terrible things take place because of the general sinfulness of mankind, including our sins, also us, because of us. The thing is, do those things cause people do they cause us to flee the coming wrath and seek our refuge in Jesus Christ before he comes with the final judgment? That's the point. See, we live in a time as shown in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation when the bowls of God's wrath, you know, those angels, they pour the bowls of God's wrath out over the earth. And it says a number of times in that chapter when, as those bowls were being poured out and they did not repent and give God glory. They did not repent and turn to God. We see that happening today. The one says that this plague, this pandemic, is because of the transmission of viruses from animals to people and then spreading all over. And, or that earthquake only resulted from layers of the earth being pushed against each other. And someone else says, maybe believes that there is a God, but, but raises a fist to him, questions how can a, a sovereign God who is God, good and loving, how can he... Allow that to happen, unnecessary suffering and death. And somebody else simply ignores the groaning of creation and throws himself into finding all the pleasure in life he can. Don't worry about whatever, I just worry about myself and being happy. But they do not repent. And what about us? Do we see the hand of God in those disasters and wars and the pandemic? Do we see his restrained wrath against our sins too in these things? 
Does the daily news about those things shake us awake and bring us to repentance? Is then the question? Let me make that practical. Surely everybody here knows of one thing in your life that's not right before God at this time. Right? One sinful thing on your conscience. And repentance means that you confess that one sin before God and that you ask for the washing away of that sin with the blood of Christ and that you earnestly seek the strength of the Holy Spirit to fight against that sin, to break with that sin, to get it out of your life for good. That's how repentance works, that you, you bring that one sin on your conscience to Jesus. And what happens then is that you can then bring another sin to him because you won't be finished with the one sin. You bring another one to him and then another. And you come to need, you realize, you come to need Jesus more and more. God is long suffering over the world and over your life yet, so you still have the opportunity to bring those sins to Jesus' cross. This one, and then that one, and that one, and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Peter's call to repentance in 2 Peter 3 is first, first place addressed to the church. The church members, of all people, they need to make use of the time God gives to be ready for the end of all times when Jesus returns. And is your life a dress rehearsal for then, now? Are you preparing for, those, for that day? That's the question. Long, long ago, I used to drive a school bus. And sometimes when I came to a pickup spot out in the country, I had to wait for a few minutes because I saw some students running toward the bus, trying to catch the bus yet. So I put my foot on the brake. I kept my foot on the brake. Just wait. But if those students slowed down and then fooled around or sat in the ditch while I was patiently waiting, I figured I might as well get going because others down the road are all also waiting and they need to be picked up. And those students who missed the bus would have to ask their parents to bring them to school with all the repercussions of that, and they would be late. Well, God's patience is something like that, like a, like a bus driver with his foot on the brake. He sees, he sees us on our life's path, our manner of life, and he waits with his judgment, which comes either when we leave this life, when he calls us out of this life, or when Jesus Christ returns in glory. He gives us time yet. And he's long-suffering with you and me. Why? So that we make haste to be on time for his coming with judgment. So that we make haste to repent while we still have the time. So, this is a call to hasten while there is still time. Brothers and sisters, also you boys and girls, don't misuse God's patience with you. Don't be like the students who fool around while the bus is waiting. Don't think like those people Peter wrote about in 2 Peter 3. Ah, there's lots of time yet. It's been thousands of years. I've heard a lot of times already that God's final judgment is coming, but everything just continues as it always has. I have time to get ready yet. Thinking like that is abusing God's patience. And then you're gathering even more of God's wrath for yourself. And every day you hold fast to your sins will testify against you in the end. God isn't going to keep his foot on the brake forever 
And don't forget, if students miss the bus, they could probably get a parent to drive them to school yet. But if the bus of God's upward call departs without you, then that's forever. The door will be shut. You can knock on it like the five foolish maidens in Jesus' parable about the ten maidens in Matthew 25. And then the Lord will say to you, sorry, I don't know you. Hence the Lord Jesus' words at the end of that parable. Watch then, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So, congregation, let's use God's patience day by day to prepare ourselves to meet him. Amen.